Welcome to the Jungle, the Auburn Basketball Podcast, hosted by Matt Donaldson and Jackson Garrett, two Auburn alums, no filter, no frills, just basketball. All right, we're coming off another victory, never done a loss podcast. Never lost in regulation on Sunny Smith Day, the day we rose the banner for our great, legendary former coach and current color analyst, Sonny Smith. We beat the Oklahoma Sooners by 18 points, 86 to 68. Uh, good game, solid game. Uh, you know, kind of the what, what we needed out of this game. We, we, you know, I don't know how much the actual like Las Vegas line was or anything like that, but it feels like this is kind of what we expected. It was nine, so we won by 18. So, yeah, we beat the line or whatever, but this is kind of how it felt like it needed to go. It's, it we started off quick, and then they kind of stayed in it pretty much the entire time. We were in control, it felt like, the entire time. There's very few times, like maybe in the middle of the second quarter or the second half, there was a little bit of scariness. We took it right back into the game extremely strong for that 18-point victory, which was the highest margin all game. So it's just great to finish off a game like that and – Man, it's just fun. It's fun to be this good. It's fun to see how fun, how much fun the students are having. Fun to send Sonny to his banner up with a good victory like this. Yeah, man, it's kind of a special day following up um, such a such an interesting week, you know, with the Kentucky thing and the Missouri near miss. You get back home, you have Sonny Smith Day, and Auburn really asserted itself in the first half. I, I wanted to point out before we get to specifics, uh, this is the most points Oklahoma's given up all year. So a pretty good offensive performance against a team that you saw at times how good Oklahoma could be defensively. So I thought our offensive efficiency was a lot better than it was uh, just better functioning um, than it was against Missouri, even with Wendell Green playing so bad, which is a good sign for us. It's got to be frustrating for this Oklahoma team that's had to play so many good teams. They're not a bad team at all, but they're playing so many good teams in a row. This is just going to happen like this this score does not really indicate how well they played. I mean, they, they got the lead down to three points at one point in the second half and they, they fought the entire time. I like leave the game thinking like Oklahoma, you're a, a decent team. I don't want to see you in March. You know, you could upset somebody in like the second round or the first round or something like that. They'll probably go in, I don't know, like seven, eight, nine seat or something and just be a solid team. You know, So you hate that they've had to play so many hard games in a row. This is just one in a, in a line. I think we, we probably, it probably helped us luck out a little bit that this one was at home and it was after they played some hard ones. I think you could see some exhaustion down the stretch. So just, just a solid one. If, if we want to get into MVP, it's a, it's going to be a tough one to pick between two guys. I feel like maybe, maybe a small shout out to KD because he brings the energy at times, but it's between Kessler and Jabari Smith. Uh, no one on this team had a game that was like, whoa, this, this guy took over the game. Anytime. I mean, after seeing KD like so easily be able to pick KD's MVP in the Missouri game, it's just interesting to go back the other way where Jabari and Kessler kind of fit our stereotypes for how good they can be and the plays they should be making. So then it's like tough to pick them as MVP because you're like, I expected that. I expected Jabari to be able to score. I mean, he scored 23, which is higher than I kind of expect. I think I, I peg him from 15 to 20 usually, but he also had 11 rebounds. Kessler hit two threes. 21 points, nine rebounds, four blocks. So I don't know, Meg, talk me into one or the other because I, I think it's like super even. I'm open to both. I mean, they both were terrific. Jabari, I didn't know he was nine for 10 free from the free throw line. We talked about how important that is for his game. 
getting to the basket and getting fouled. The refs were kind of protected him in a, in a good way, not protected him. But they called the fouls that were there. I felt like um, 12 that, rebounds. That might, put over, that might put over the edge right there to get fouls on the other team like that. The Kessler does not seem to be able to collect fouls the way Jabari can, even with Jabari not driving the ball the way we kind of want him to at times. He's still getting the calls on jump shots. Right. And I thought he had some man rebounds. I mean, his, Jabari on the glass tonight was terrific. Uh, he's defensively, other than, he always has one or two lapses, maybe not getting out to shooters, but he's he continues to just play better defensively. Um, I, I It's hard to not go with Jabari for me. He just show, showcased that shooting that we love so much. Um, a very kind of quiet 23 and 12, which is just crazy to say. That's an amazing stat line. Um, but Walker, the argument for Walker would be he hit his open threes, two for four. He was nine of 11, so nine of nine on two-point shots, and they were not all dunks. Um, nine rebounds for him, continued to be a force at the rim. Um, Should have had five blocks. He had one they called goaltend that did not go off the glass, but he also maybe you could say the other way. That felt like there was one day yeah. it would look like he was starting to loop down. So, I, you know. You just the thing with Kessler is you can't always look at his, his score sheet. But at this point now, Jamari's doing that a little bit too. His defense has been so good. So it's a tough one. It's a tough one. It I, is would a say, I would say it's interesting that Kessler started the game so strong. 13.7 rebounds or 13 points. Avery was one of those two in the first half. And just really, man, looked like a monster out there. Hit his three, like started the game off with really solid stuff, getting some big rebounds, some big putbacks. But then he went really quiet for about like, I don't know, until about the last like five, 10 minutes in the second half or so. And so that, that was a weird one. Jabari kind of kept it consistent the entire time. I would say it's, it's interesting with Jabari. He could have had even more. and It would have made it a little easier. He's been so funny about, he hits these amazing jump shots in people's faces. And then this game, he missed a couple open threes and a couple open shots. And he were like, like a couple that were like on the edge of like exploding the crowd. And you're just like, those stick in your mind a little bit. And then you look at his 23 points. I guess a lot of that's because he can't, you got nine of those from the free throw line. So you don't like remember the plays as much when you're shooting free throws, you know, but he did. He had a couple key buckets as a run stopper, which we've talked about time. I think for this game, that was probably one of the bigger, I, I think I'm leaning Jabari for MVP. Um, but man, two great performances from this front line that I, personally, I've just never seen Auburn have guys at their positions like these two. And it is so fun to watch. And really, they really kind of led this team and everybody else got in line and played their role. But um, I, I'm going to leave In a game where Jabari and Walker Kessler hit the same amount of threes. Yeah. You don't see that every game. <laughs> well, I told you they're going to keep letting Walker shoot it. I mean, I mean that both the defense and Bruce, like Bruce they wants really... him to take it. When he's but more than ever this game, they were like asking for him to shoot it. So right. I love that he, he hit the two of the four and every, maybe one, one shot he had was like a step back three that I was like, okay, maybe not that one. But the yeah. other three were very much like, yeah, they are like asking you to shoot the three. So do it, you know? Right. And if you're laying Jabari, I can go with that. I, I think it's that even that it, I think this is one of the most even ones we've had. There's nothing to be upset about with like either player really like, they played super well. You know, you could say Jabari's got 23 and you could add on top. He had some great defensive plays and the rebounds. He had more rebounds. So let's go Jabari. Yeah. The only, I thought Jabari's defense and rebounding was the key for me. And obviously we know what he can do offensively. Walker, there was one little guard that really gave um, Walker a hard time and, and kind of some of the switches and stuff. I didn't think it was Walker's best defensive performance. Um, 
but man, it, it's hard to not give the MVP to a seven footer with 21 and nine on 11 shots. I mean, that's just, it's hard not to, but I, I'll, I'll leave. If we're not going to do duels, if this you're okay with line. two, if you're okay with two MVPs, I would give it to both. But if you uh, no, I, I love that we have to pick. I think that's a fun thing that we have to pick at this point. I'm going to, we're going to go with Jabari, I think. So congratulations, Jabari. I think it's fun that they've, uh, this is kind of what we expected. As uh, if you like looked at the stat line like earlier in the year that of course Jabari and Kessler are going to be like dominating. And then you might have a guy like KD doing well and Zep, and then maybe Flanagan's like, we can get in him later, but a little down, more down than I thought, but like you kind of look up and down the stat sheet, it's kind of more what you expected. And, and this year we've had so, so much other players step up. You have the Wendell Green step up. You've had like different players go off on different nights. And so uh, it's just one of those nights where the players did what they expect you expected them to do. So. Yeah. I mean, if you look overall, Auburn shooting was back up. They got out shot from three. Oklahoma shot better from three, uh, but we won the free throw line. We won uh, turnovers. We won rebounding. Um, we kind of did all these things that we're accustomed to. Um, bench points, second chance points, uh, we, points we, in the paint, I think is a big stat for us. The fact that we're getting downhill and scoring in the paint. So uh, really just a but Oklahoma did make this game uncomfortable. If you watched it, like there were a couple points. They had a four-point play that got them close. I think they got within three uh, in the second yeah. half, a couple, at least once. So we, we only um, made six threes. Surprise, like not surprising to say. If you watch the game, it, it felt like the only reason we had like the score so different in eighteen-point victories. How many extra chance points we got? You know, we dominated the rebounds. What twenty to or not 20, 29, 41, 29. 29. 41, 29. That's huge. That's a big difference. And I think that's kind of like tells the story there that and maybe some turnovers, which were 10 for us, 14 for them, even though it feels like we turn the ball over a lot. I feel like they like the reason they stay in this game several times is, is re, uh, turnovers. Do you know how much second chance points were, though? Second chance was 17 to nine for us. 17. That's kind of surprising to me. I guess maybe some of those are putbacks, different things. Uh, second chance. Sorry, not second chance. Uh, like breakaway points, turn points off turnovers. Fast, well, uh, fast break was a 14 to 11 for Oklahoma. Points mm -hmm. off turnover, 16 to 9 Auburn. Really? Uh, it just felt like there was a lot, lot of weird turnovers this game for us that were frustrating, and that's kind of what kept them in the game. But I guess it's the rebounding bout, it feels like, that kept us in this one because we didn't really shoot that well. I mean, 26% from three is not great, and it, it was interesting. Like I said, that I saw Jabari miss a couple open threes. Just really crazy that he's so in your face with those jump shots. But yet when we get him an open shot, they're not going in, or at least they have in the last two games, you know? Yeah. Well, you mentioned it's a, um, such so different. I hate the comparisons to the Final Four team. We've talked about that. This is its own team. Um, the fact that you could hit six threes and score 86 points against a really good defensive team. I know it was at home. It just – and maybe this is a good um, – place to talk about Wendell uh one of my mm -hmm. pregame notes was how is he gonna look and he looked really bad he had a couple spectacular plays like he does some good passes one off off the ground at the end of the game but like overall two points one for eight shooting two turnovers three fouls two two rebounds three assists like for Auburn to score 86 against this team with their engine Wendell not playing well, it, it just, again, we keep talking about the depth, but you just don't know who it's going to be every night. And it's so healthy for the, for the whole team to see that they were not reliant on any one particular player on any given night. Wendell was getting so much hype pre like last game and this one, like during the Kentucky game, now there's so much hype. And then to have a game like this where he had two points 
and we still won the game by 18 is really crazy for like the little notes, the ESPN guys, that was like their go-to little, like, Oh, you may not know this cause I'm an expert and you're not, but this Wendell green guy's actually who you should be watching or whatever. You know, us fans knew that from an Auburn perspective, but to see him have two bad games in a row, I mean, he already wasn't having a good game in Missouri before he had that injury. And then this game, he really got locked up. There were several times he dribbled around the three point line, tried to make his little drives, went back out and just really felt locked up. And you're, I had totally forgotten, not totally, but I remember you had made your note, but I'd forgotten that he was injured. And I wonder how much of that play, I mean, he went limping around out there, but I'll be curious well, to hear like in the next coming days, if, if uh, Bruce or somebody brings that up, they're like, Oh, he's dealing with a little something, you know, but it's good to see that at least he's out there, even if it is something he's dealing with, he's still out there looking fine, maybe a half step slow, but still that's good. I definitely think he's still feeling it. I thought you could tell sometimes the way he would run, he wasn't at full speed. Um, he only ended up playing 17 minutes. I think that was not because of his injury. He just wasn't effective. And again, it's such a luxury for Bruce to be able to say, okay, KD and Zep are going to play more this game. Um, but Wendell was clearly becoming the guy that like, okay, if you're going to beat Auburn, you've got to neutralize Wendell Green in the assist game and in the scoring game. And it's just another sign of how scary this team can be that he can play probably his worst game of the year. And I'm, I'm going to say it was probably, I don't think he's a hundred percent. Um, but still he was able to go. He play, I was glad he was able to play and for Auburn to look this good offensively. Uh, I, it has me really excited about the continued like ceiling of this team and this offense. We play Alabama at home on Tuesday, right? Yep. You wish you had a little more time because they're going to bring their A game for sure on that one. So if Wendell is dealing with something, you kind of wish it was one of those four day gaps instead of the, the whatever. It'll be a full week since the Missouri game by then. So maybe, that'll help a little bit, but we'll need him in that game. I have a guarantee Alabama is going to give us their all in that one. And we're going to have to hit, hit more threes when they're open. We're going to have to stop turning the ball over like in silly turnovers in the half court. We're going to have to take, actually take advantage of our second chance, second chance points or points off turnovers. That's been frustrating to me. Uh, it's interesting to see what ended up in this game, but it, it just seems like we're not finishing great on the second chance points. There's some sort of like, like, I don't know, we've seen teams in the past that really, man, when they went on those fast breaks, you were excited to see where the ball would go. If it would go out to the three-point line, if what kind of pass people would make, what kind of alley-oops people were going to throw. It really feels like our guys have kind of clam up a little bit when we get the turnovers, and every one of them is just keeping the ball and trying to finish, and it's not working out very well. KD does it almost every single time, and at least, like, he gets the foul almost every time. Planning and did it twice this game and didn't finish both times. Got At least got a foul call on one of those, I believe. I think Zep did, but he he finished and got three point play. But it was still there was it was two one or three on one with Kessler and I think Cambridge Zep and one other guy, and he still took the ball by himself to the goal. And, and sure, it worked out for that three point play. Yeah, what? I was just saying it was the it, it's exactly what I want KD to do every time. If if yeah, he and if you go back and look, it was a three on one, but the guy was standing with Cambridge coming off that end. I think because they've watched so much film of Cambridge dunking on people. So by the, he had no chance to take a charge or anything. So if you're in that position, I think Zep did exactly the right thing. But overall in the game, your point is right. Uh, we've got to be better in the open. If we're going to be the flying tigers and the monsters, um, we've got to be able to give that ball up and get out and transition effectively and score off. Because you notice what happens when you don't finish those, it's going right back the other way with mm -hmm. them having numbers. So it's never good. They, they've, they did that to us two or three times tonight also. And then like it's the little things because – Flaming can go down there and not pass the ball to an open KD, gets the foul, and you go, okay, well, he still got the foul, and he can hit his free throws or whatever, but it slowed the game down. We want that game going at lightning speed, and when you do something like that, it stopped the game, 
they had their big guy on the sideline trying to get in. We'd scored once or twice without him in. We get this fast break. Great. If we just finished right there, we would have had another possession or two before they could have gotten their big guy in. Flanning doesn't finish right there, gets the foul. Big guy comes in. That was kind of, I mean, I don't remember exactly, but it feels like that was about the end of that run that we had there where we were like freaking them out. So you really got to, it's the little things like that. So hopefully we can see in the coming games, this team's number one. They're great. So many dudes on this team. So it's hard. Like I'm just nitpicking things for the moment when we have an amazingly hard game. Like, you know, when you're winning by 18, you find the stuff that's going to be future looking, the shot selection, the passing, the where people are positioned, you know. Well, look, it, it's a, I thought this was a really interesting game, just stepping out of conference play, being part of this. Um, Bruce is big on the league. He's a big proponent of the SEC and how good it is, how strong of a league it is. So it's great to get that win. I was curious how our guys would approach it. It's in Auburn Arena, but it's you've been drilled, all the SEC championship, like we're as all these tough SEC games. And you and I, from, and I'm sure they did with film study and everything, like Oklahoma's a tough good team that's played a bunch of top 10 teams and they will not be scared. So I was really happy just with the attitude with which we approached this game. It showed a lot of maturity to me. And I think they were ready to get that Missouri game kind of out of their system. And it was the perfect like launch point. This is a huge week. You know, I don't want to preview it necessarily, but like Alabama to sweep them at home would be massive. And then to sweep Georgia on Saturday next week, even on the road, even though Georgia's not very good to get sweeps over your rivals. That's huge for Bruce and this program he's building. And by the way, I mean, we, we can touch on the Bruce contract later, but I mean, I was really, I was really impressed with how we handled everything that's been going on from the renewed contract, the number one ranking, still a bad game, last game. They just, this team is, has shown a lot of maturity with how they've approached every battle. And I think that's a testament to the coaching staff. Yeah. There's some people online talking about how we got a loss out of the way basically last week without actually having to lose or lose any kind of, because the Missouri game, if you think about it from like the national number one team perspective, we lose that one. Okay. Whatever. Still like we lost two games all year, blah, blah, blah. But it's still, it's that SEC cushion. We feel real good with that two game SEC cushion. All of a sudden you drop a weird one like that and games that like you want that cushion for when we go to at Tennessee and at Arkansas and have to play a hot Alabama team, maybe potentially, or a team or at least a rival that wants to, make a point, you know, so you can't be losing to at Missouri. So we got our loss almost out of the way, that little curse breaker or whatever. It might be a good time. You bring up contracts. So everything. So we can go through pregame notes real quick. I think that might guide us a little bit. Can Auburn improve on their recent slow starts? Uh, yes, they did. The starting group actually came out on fire. They got a good like six point lead in the first few minutes. Um, that kind of built the the foundation, there was kind of a lull there with the bench um, in the first half, but it was kind of a reversal. We've seen the bench be so great for this team. And they were just really bad in the first half with Wendell and everybody, really. Um, the starters had to do all the work. We got off to a really good start in that half. The second half, there was a bit of a lull, but I was pretty happy overall with, um, it was nice to not be down double digits, which it felt like three of the last five games or whatever it's been. You know, it, it's nice to not feel like you're having to dig out. And like you said, as a fan, you know, you never got too nervous. I got a little nervous there in the second half, but it was nice to out of conference, a good win still, a good win to get and a good win to maintain number one status. Um, at least we should. Maybe we'll get passed by Gonzaga this week. Who knows? Um, but anyway, I thought we started much better. It always felt like we were in control because we got up early and there was never a lead change and we were all in charge when they got it down to three. Even then it kind of felt like not like, oh no, this thing's going downhill. Oh no, like this is, oh, this is like a disaster. You know, it was more like, wow, I can't believe they're this close. It doesn't feel like they should be this close. If they take a lead here, I'll be like, kind of like, 
flabbergasted that they've been able to do that with the way the game's going. And they just kind of, they, they scratched away at it. And we went some through some offensive droughts, which are becoming a trend at this point that we have an offensive drought for four or five minutes every game. So I, I don't know. I think every team has that to an extent. It would just be nice to, you know, with a Jabari, like the run stoppers that he has, I don't think it should ever get more than like three minutes. Cause you could always get the Jabari a two or something like that, but we still seem to have those five minute, six minute droughts. Well, didn't it just feel like though our offense was just more in rhythm and more in sync today? I mean, it's maybe it's just how bad the Missouri game looked uh, to us watching, but it just felt like our offense was much better. Um, and you're right. I, I think we do have lulls. I mean, probably that's basketball. And again, it's like, you, I agree. We do have multiple lulls usually in a game, but then you look up and we have 86 points. And it's like, oh gosh, like, I don't know if our fans really understand, like it's hard to score 80 every night in the league. It's just, and we are for the most part. So the offense, as much as it may seem a little, have some fits and starts. I think we, um, we've got so many weapons. They play so hard. Bruce lets them play and they play with confidence and it just tends to work out where we score 80. If you score 80, you're going to win most games. Tell, tell me this. I find kind of strange. I've, I've talked about this. That it's interesting that Jabari's not necessarily hunting for open shots, which is almost any other player in college basketball, 99% of you want to try to work them into an open shot. And it's almost like two different offenses a little bit. When we get Jabari the ball, it's what our regular offense is with everybody else. Or when Jabari gets the ball in his hands, he's just going to kind of do whatever he's going to do and hit that jumper. If he wants to, if not, if that's not where, if he's not feeling the positioning on the court, he just passes out and we get into our other offense. It feels kind of odd, right? The two things going, I don't know what Jabari's like, how he mixes in the pot. He's almost an entire different kind of like meal on the side or something. He is. And it's an inch. Like the reason he's such an NBA ready player is because of his isolation abilities. Right. So like a lot of times when we're drawing, we're not drawing up a play for Jabari. And so we're just like, Hey, Bruce is calling a play that the you get it to that guy and he's going to either drive, shoot, pass, whatever. And it's Jabari. They're going to run 80% of the time out of bounds under the basket. They're going to throw it to Jabari on the, um, uh, on the elbow there near the free throw line, and he's going to probably shoot a mid-range jumper, and it's probably going to go in. So it does feel like that's a little isolation heavy. Whereas when we have our Zep and Wendell and stuff running, it's the it's the high screen and roll, it's the flex action where people are cutting under the basket. So and and Jabari's a part of that, but I think he maybe doesn't show up there because teams are scouting him so much. You know, mm-hmm. they know where he's going to be in all of our five or six main offensive sets. And um, I guess he's. I was trying to think like. All right, well, the isolation's there. He's always going to have, like, theoretically that shot. Well, if it's that deadly all the time, what's the, like, kind of, like, other side of that that if, oh, if they got that covered up, at least he's kind of, like, I guess he's kind of always sucking a guy in. They're always all over him, so it kind of leaves some spacing for everybody else. I just don't know how it, like, I don't know. I'm just trying to watch and see how it balls. Because I don't, it's just weird to watch with this, a team that's such a team to also have such a isolation kind of guy where once he gets the ball, you're happy with him shooting pretty much any, anywhere unless he's like the Missouri game where he's just completely off. I mean, he shot 14 times this game, got to the free throw line 10, like uh, five or six times. So you're very happy with it. I just like, it's just weird to watch kind of like how everyone else reacts to it. Well, really the only next level of that is if they send a double team at him when he's isolated, which Kentucky did and he just shot over both of them, but he could also obviously pass to the open guy and that would just completely free everybody up. So um there's not much you can do with it. I mean, I was talking today, we were watching and just, uh, it's so deflating. It has to be so deflating for him to just shoot over your, like they defended him really well. And he just made a lot of shots. He had his individual seven Oh run in the first half where 
he just hit three straight shots. Boom, boom, boom. And Bruce got the ball to him multiple possessions in a row. I think that's what we want to see a little more when he's feeling it. You've mentioned that before. Felt like we did a really good job of that today. It was frustrating watching the Missouri game, but I'm still cool with it. I think I'll be cool that the rest of the year for him to shoot this kind of volume. You know, we talked about how KD at times have had has had the most shots or Wendell at times had the most shots. I think you kind of want to end every game with Jabari having the most shots. I think about that 14 this game from on his field goals here. I think that's about right. Six to 14. I'm good with that. 23 points. Of course, I'm great with that. You know, he could have hit another open three or somebody shot two or five. So it's not like so, so crazy, you know, 40 percent. Your next note is, uh, does Wendell look healthy and effective? No. Um, I'm glad he was healthy enough to play. I'm glad it didn't flare up or something after the Missouri game, but uh, he didn't look right to me. Part of it was his play. I think you could also see him not really full speed on defense, especially. Um, So like you said, it's a quick turnaround for Bama, but it may just be one of those things he has to kind of play through and figure out. So that was I'm glad I mentioned that because that that's a significant thing for this team. But the good news is he's healthy enough to play. And we, we it looked really bad there for a second on, on Tuesday. I'm glad you've already forgotten it, but I haven't. It was a traumatic experience for me. Which, for the record, if you, if you didn't watch last game or whatever, he, he banged knees with a guy at Missouri. He went down holding his knee. You're always so worried when a player goes down, like, grimacing and holding his knee. So it's kind of injury that just usually hurts. I'm surprised, you know, it's like usually he played afterwards and everything, but he was clearly limping a little bit. So you wonder like bone bruise or what the deal is, how long uh, uh, you know, it takes to get back completely. Your last one is Oklahoma really needs a big time win like this for their resume. Can Auburn match the intensity in a non-conference game? Yeah, like I said earlier, I'm, I'm pleased with the effort and the really the defense. I thought our first half defense was terrific. Um, I thought we kind of asserted ourselves at both ends, which led to that double digit lead. Um, Oklahoma was hungry when I mean, they, they made those runs. You could tell they, they really need a big win like this. They've been so close against Kansas, against Baylor. Um, this was obviously number one team in the country on the road, a huge win if you can get it. So the prize on our head, this was one of the bigger times you're going to really feel that I think throughout the rest of this season. So kudos to our guys for match. I thought they matched it really well. Um, they, we turned it over some, you know, we didn't, it's not perfect. Like you said, you can nitpick, but overall I did not feel like Oklahoma punked us too much, except for a couple stretches of the second half. Uh, thank, thank God we have such depth on this team because it, it, I'm mean, just being doing a podcast every game, watching every single game can get like to a point where you're like, Oh, this Oklahoma. I'm not like so excited. Like it's snowing in New York right now. I went out and played in the snows or whatever. And I was like, oh, I wish this game was a little later. Cause I kind of want to like do a, a other stuff. But you know, last week, Kentucky, we were so hyped. I was like, couldn't hardly go to bed. Cause I was so hyped for it. So it's like, these players are going through the same stuff. Sure, they're going out there, but it's going to be a big deal for Bruce Pearl to keep these guys motivated. And thank God for our depth, because I feel like that's what really pushes us. If you're not going to play super hard, the depth's going to come play super hard. And shout out to Devin Cambridge on that. If we're going to talk about intensity, two games in a row, he had a great game from offensive rebounding standpoint. This game, he ended up with four offensive rebounds, and they were big ones where he put them back and got some free throws. He got a three-point play out of it. He compared himself to Dennis Rodman on Instagram or Twitter. Absolutely love that. Like we talked about, there's only so many like room for guys to shoot on this team. And that was kind of like a thing he was doing early on when he was a starter. And now that he's on the bench, I'm loving that he's embracing that sixth man, that defensive intensity, that rebounding intensity. I don't know what he's doing on the offensive rebound side, but we always knew he was a freak athlete. And it didn't feel like he always took advantage of that in other parts of his game other than alley-oops. It looks like he's starting to take advantage of that. Yeah, I mean, he's he's matured so much. And then the great thing, you saw the reaction. I think that was the biggest reaction of the game when uh, 
he had a huge rebound, got the and one, made the basket, hit the free throw. I mean, his he shot three shots. He was two for three. They were both close to the basket. He missed his one three, like I'm sure you wanted to point out. But three three for three from the free throw line, five rebounds for a guard that played 18 minutes. Um, that is a huge thing for this team. The difference in Tuesday and tonight was the, the rebounds led to stuff that we needed. At Keish, that was one of those moments we were down three. I want to say he got a rebound. He got fouled. It turned to five. And then we got that Kessler steal on the full court press. And I think he got another and one right after that. So really Cambridge was a big part of the, what I would call the biggest part of this game where we really had to turn Oklahoma away when they got close. Shout out to Devin Cambridge. We're, we're enjoying it. That's the kind of stuff we need him to do. Uh, Leor was out again. It's, it's getting to a point that we're not even really like talking about it. So like, I don't know. I mean, we knew his, his role would completely change, but I, it's sad that you still feel like he had a couple more games where he would have played minutes here and there. And so I don't know he's up to, We'll be on the lookout to hear any news if he's fine, if he can play next year. I don't know. My my notes are, uh, can we avoid contract distractions? We can get into that a little bit later, but I'm just worried when, you know, all this noise and stuff and any, you know, every college basketball coach, college basketball player, the, the competitive edge, you're working so hard for any little competitive edge and to be distracted even for an afternoon or a night with contract stuff. We can get into the whole big picture of that after that, but we avoided it. And that's great. Uh, love the lock, the love that we locked him up. So yeah, again, no, I, I agree. Um, I, I think in some ways it may have just cleared the air a little bit. You know, okay, like I'm, maybe, you know, these players are always on social media and stuff. And I know the it was easy for us to laugh at the Louisville, Kentucky fan bases being mad at us and stuff this week. But you also kind of there were some rumblings that maybe we'll, we'll talk more later. But I, I think maybe that just clears the air. And I saw a lot of the players just really excited posting stuff like, yes, you know, he ain't going nowhere. He's staying here. He's our guy. So um, maybe in a way it helped, but you're right. It was a question coming in. My next one is can KD stay level-headed after a big game? And I'd say, yeah, he, he had a really another solid game in a row. Nothing too flashy necessarily. He hit a, a three in my space. I was messaging some friends and it's like KD and Sonny Smith says it even. He, he's one of those players that hit shots that you go, no, no, no. Yes. Okay. Whatever. You know, it's getting to a point these contested like threes where he kind of plays around with the ball, the, the three-point line to some crossovers. Uh, a friend of mine also mentioned this guy said, it's still not a good shot, but if he keeps making it at like a, like a 30, 40, 50%, whatever it is, some like high 30s probably percentage right now on those threes in your face, like you can keep doing it. That's a good shot if it's going to keep going in. Like at some point, that's part of your game. We're cool with Jabari doing that because Jabari's so huge. We feel like that's open. If he's creating whatever space he needs that, that like – if his space is a smaller amount of space than other players need, that's fine. Keep shooting them as long as you're making them. So, and he, he had some other good parts of his game, some good, good Hamburglar moments, uh, good drives when we needed some intensity. He just kind of like, it's starting to be to a point where he seems to know when it's time to turn it on, when the team is like lacking that energy and lacking that kind of like maybe confidence that he always has. And he just goes and does it. And he took over a part of this game for like a two or three or four minute stretch there, like driving to the basket, getting the foul calls, making his free throws. So shout out to KD. He's our psycho. We call him the Hamburglar, but it seems like psycho name is nickname is kind of taking over. That's what's making this team so cool. We've already talked about a Jabari run, a Cambridge run, a KD run, these individual players with these amazing abilities. And there's only one of them. There's only one Devin Cambridge, even with his imperfections, right? There's only one Katie Johnson on this team. There's only one Jabari Smith on this team. And Bruce talks about the sum of the parts. Like, you're right. I, this was a great game from Katie Johnson because he shot only nine times. He had 13 points. That's, for him, a good number if he's over um, 
one point per shot. Like for him, I'll take that. That's good. That's kind of something I track. He's he got to the free throw line. He got calls tonight. We talk about how that helps him when he drives and gets fouled and hits his free throws. He was five for six. Had a couple turnovers, but a couple really good assists. It was good to see him share the ball. And he played 30 minutes. He picked up some of that slack uh, with Wendell struggling and, and sitting on the bench more than he usually does. I don't know if we hit maybe but one open three all game. We only made six threes. Two of them were open. So I, I'll take that back. Two of them were wide open Walker Kessler ones. But I'm thinking from our, our guards perspective, the Walker Kessler ones got shot because they left them that wide open. He didn't even both like two, three out of the four were honestly like him standing for like a good second or two looking for a pass before he did it. But from the guards perspective, I know for sure at least one of KD's was in the face. I think both of Jabari's were in their face because that's just how he does it. I think maybe KD had one open no, three. I, 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 just... I think I, I had that reversed. I think I think KD's were both in your face threes and Jabari had one that was in the flow of the offense that was sent. It wasn't wide open, but it was an open look for him. And then one was just a dagger in your heart from the corner that we know he can make so much so you're right just weird that's part of that's part of the reason this percentage is so down so thank god they well we have the kind of players that could hit those contested threes but we need to hit a couple of these open ones too but part of that's oklahoma too i mean if you know i i think oklahoma really impressed me um honestly i'm really impressed with them and how we how much we did offensively because they were in the right spots most of the night and they knew our actions not that it's that complicated but most teams have been really struggling to um to find it and it it kind of felt like they took the lob away to kessler and they covered our threes didn't it but we still had 86 yeah. points i mean they, they figured something out with that lob. i'd be curious if there's somebody that I, I know we don't have a ton of guys in the auburn cloudosphere or whatever you want to call it the beat writers that like break down footage of basketball games and things but i'd love to know the last two or three games it feels like i guess the kentucky game he played so well so missouri in this game there was not a lot of great uh alley-oop type stuff to kessler so i'd love to see what they're doing there maybe it's pulling them out on offense you know and shooting three so he's not down there getting that kind of stuff maybe it's just having a good like they had a good center i don't know what his name was the beard it's a pretty big guy that i've seen before so my, my last one is, can Flanagan avoid air balls and charges? No, he like not both of them, but he checkmarked one of them. He, he had another air ball three, three games in a row, I believe, that he's had at least one air ball three. He didn't get a charge, but he also didn't drive the ball a ton. He did have at least one good, solid drive, the kind of drives I want out of him where he can go through contact and finish like nobody else can. Even KD, who drives down there and takes a ton of contact, it looks a little out of control when he does it. It doesn't always feel like the shot is the first, like we've talked about. It doesn't always feel like Katie's shot on those is actually the main thing he's trying to do. When Flanagan does it, it feels like that's a good shot that happened to like go through contact. So Flanagan, I, I don't know. Well, not, I, not great again. I'm going to give one positive. I, I thought he struggled in every way, every way. He had a really bad turnover. Um, he got, he got just got punked by a, a little trap that Oklahoma did. And, but I thought he passed terrifically tonight. He had four assists. He had a couple that were beautiful passes that the guy didn't hit the shot. I thought most of our open looks, you talked about the lack of them. I thought most of them came from Flanagan. So I thought in a way he was kind of a good distributor tonight. Uh, so that's at least one piece of the game that I, I saw. It, it jumped off the page to me that he was really effective. In. He's, he's still like solid. And I'm still glad he's starting over Cambridge. You can tell it's still a better starting lineup than it was when Cambridge was in the chemistry just is, it's different I feel more I'm not like worried as much about that three position when he's in and like it gives Cambridge this ability to come in and be the hustle guy when before he might have had a little too much stress on him to be like a playmaker at times 
it's just, it's clearly like a huge step down from every other position. Our point guards, we feel great about Wendell and Zepp. At least they have like, you know, you got your defense special guy and you know, you got your, your oop and your scoring guy. Then you have like Katie Johnson in there and you're like, great. I mean, I don't know who Katie Johnson's backup is necessarily kind of like moves around in those one, two positions, but you're like, great. The two position Katie's in, he's our little psycho. Great. Uh, Jabari Smith and Jalen. Great. You know, that's automatically great. Like even when J- Jalen comes in, he still brings some cool stuff. You got Kessler and Cardwell. Great. And you kind of like that three positions, the one that you're like, uh, like, I don't want to rely on Flanagan or Cambridge. Like if e- like either one of them right now in the game, I'm like, okay, there's always like a better person to be getting it to right now, which is sad. Cause you know, Flanning is my guy. He is. Well, any other players that we haven't talked about? I know we've talked about a lot, a lot of the players already. Yeah, we can go down the list a little bit. We've talked about Kessler. We've talked about Jabari. I just talked about Flanagan for a little bit. We've talked about KD. Uh, we can talk about Zepp a little bit. He had some good moments. This yeah. game, nine points, which is not his usual thing. Three of six from the field, 0 of two from three-point. Finished a really good, solid uh, drive on a three-point. I think it was a, a breakaway, and he, he finished the ball and got the three-point play, which is huge when they get that free throw after. So, he, very solid game for him. Played good defense. Yeah, um, terrific defense. Uh, it's it's very ironic that Zepp has this kind of game where he was it felt like he was having a fe- he was hitting shots he was getting downhill, um, but the pro- so he's always you know what's he been good at all year when he doesn't score it's assist to turnover ratio right he had one assist and three turnovers today so of course uh, he he lost a couple that I was kind of I told I texted you like when he turns it over I get really mad and it's a compliment because he never turns it over. It was a bad um, one this game too though. But like, but, the, but the I did think- the really obvious ones where he's like at the half court line when he turns it you know. But I did think his uh, his offense was huge tonight, and, and being in the flow of it, I felt like he pretty seamlessly covered Wendell's minutes well. Um, and again, it's just it's so great to have multiple guys who can fill multiple roles for this team. Uh, we can talk about the next guy. We talk about Zip. We talk about Jalen Williams. Zero Terrible. points. Oh, oh, three from the field. Uh, four personal fouls. Uh, it was not a great day for Jalen, but it's great that we have the kind of depth that when Jabari's going off. You don't really need him. And then Jalen has had his moments when Jabari needs time. So two things. One, uh, he was the unlucky guy. Sometimes in basketball, you're just unlucky. I think three of his four fouls were in defensive transition where Oklahoma was on a fast break and he had really good fouls to make sure they didn't get an and one and make sure they had to hit free throws. So he did that really well, but the fouls piled up. And then the other thing, he is not getting any calls. Like, I, it's frustrating me. Him and Flanagan, to me, are not getting the foul calls they deserve when they go inside. Like, he got hit uh, it, twice on the same possession. He should have been at the free throw line twice. Neither of them gets called. So, it, it, I've talked before about there's these stretches in basketball where it just feels like you can't buy a break. KD had that for a few weeks. You know, he just couldn't get anything to go right. I feel like Jalen and Flanagan are kind of in that funk right now. Yeah, Jalen might be due for one. He's got a good three-point shot, and he's he's pretty solid down low when he's got those little floaters. And you've seen him at games where you look up and he's got nine points in the first half, and it's because he hit that three instead of missing it. And he hit a floater or two or put or put back. Strong guy. Yeah, it just was not his night tonight. Uh, you talked about when Cambridge put that and one uh, put back on his rebound. That was probably the biggest moment from the crowd perspective, but the most intense moment from the player perspective was when Cardwell put one back and like did some crazy like jittery like yelling in a player's face while like kind of pedaling backwards and I was like why did you do that <laughs> like it was a good putback or whatever but he like went off like an explosion like he had just like I don't know dunked on Oscar Sheebway's face or something for a putback so 
you love the energy. I don't know if that was like the correct time or place or whatever. <laughs> the difference is he usually plays to the crowd so much. He'll blow the yeah. kisses, he'll, but he did it right at the guy's face. And uh, it's actually hilarious that that's his first tech because I feel like he does so many flamboyant things. It's like how, it's like how I've mentioned that Katie has zero, of course. He has zero techs despite ranting and raving around the court all the time. Um, so that was kind of funny. I thought Cambridge, or not Cambridge, Cardwell, eight points, three rebounds in nine minutes. He was extremely effective when he was on the floor. He hit, he hit a, like he had a mid-range shot. He had a couple dunks. And then the funniest play at the end of the game, I just wanted to throw this in there. I loved, I love when random stuff happens. He, he yeah. was trying to throw an alley-oop, which big guys never do. You know, they don't practice throwing alley-oops to other people. And he hit the shot. He was trying to pass it to Cambridge, I think. And he hit the shot. It was hilarious. One, the one time we were doing good transition passing and stuff was when Cardwell threw the alley-oop to Cambridge and it went in the goal. And I don't even know if Cambridge got his hand on it or not. I think they, I think that's two of his eight points. You know, he had six points and that was, the next two that put him kind of, you know, having six points versus eight points. It looks a little different, right? So good on him for, we'll call it a, a long range floater. He hit in transition. There. That's right. That was just a funny, funny play. And, and the coaching staff I saw was even laughing on the sideline after that one. Sometimes when you're on a team like this, it's just good stuff happens. It's kind of fun. Yeah. You, you love the intensity from him. And there was something else I wanted to bring up with him. I don't know. He's, he's a, he's a great player. Glad to have him on being that efficient. Oh, the other thing I want to bring on him blocks he is fourth in the sec in blocks right now he didn't get one this game so we'll see if he stays at fourth it's just really crazy that he's playing things like eight minutes a game nine minutes a game at times and still fourth in the sec in blocks with kessler being number one by a, a big margin at this point in the sec so block party man we're leading the nation in blocks i feel like it's because we're number one in the nation overall and, and we have the record we have it's not getting brought up in a different season if we led the nation in blocks and we had lost four or five games the entire fan base will be talking about that's our thing. We're the block team, but because we're so good in everything, we're not even, we're barely even bringing it up now. Uh, yeah, no, I, that stat continues to amaze me. He's playing so little <laughs> for him to be on that list. is just, it, it really is insane. And it shows, I think Bruce's style lends itself to a block party. And we have these guys who are so good at it. So athletic. Um, it's not just Kessler. It, it, Kessler's the best we've ever seen probably in our time, but uh, man, Cardwell's doing a great job too. Yeah, so we talked about pretty much everybody. Or you know, last one we, we we did get some players in: Preston Cook, Mazdor, Chris Moore. They all got to play, which is always nice in a game like this against a pretty decent Oklahoma team that we got minutes in for everybody. One minute for Chris Moore, he tried to drive the ball, lost the ball, and it looked like he was about to drive it and like make a good play and lost the ball. But, uh, but no. hey, on social media watch though, we know how Jackson loves to be negative. He he put a really positive post after the Bruce uh, extension that he he's he's staying. So. Maybe that, did Chris Moore say, and they locked me up too. Cause that'd be nice to hear. <laughs> uh, I think it's a good time. I guess. Uh, do you have any other notes on this game itself? No, just a good win. Um, good to win for the sec in this. I, I like that they do this kind of thing. This sec big 12 challenge is kind of neat. Uh, you know, it's almost the halfway point of the sec schedule. I think it was a good change up for our guys. Good to get back home. Good to be able to stay at home for this Alabama game coming up. Um, I think it was kind of everything we wanted. And ultimately we can look back now and we survived that week at number one. If we stay at number one, who cares really? But we, we did our job. We won two games. And um, I, this one, I was less stressed about this one, honestly, just because it's not an SEC game. I'm so invested in the SEC championship that like, I would have rather lost this one if it guaranteed me two or three SEC wins coming up, but um, good to keep the momentum. I think that's 17 wins in a row. You know, if you want to 20 and one, we're already at 20 wins. 
January. They haven't lost a game since November. We used to get so excited for 20 wins, right? Oh, 20 wins is like a, a, a program, like for a program like Auburn, getting to 20 wins means you're probably in the tournament conversation. Like it, it's just, I don't want people to miss all these little details. And I, I thought about the other day, just again, we haven't lost since before Thanksgiving. Like, just think about that. We're, we're going to be in February playing Alabama. We have not lost since before Thanksgiving. And as you've mentioned, never done a loss podcast, undefeated in regulation. Let's go. <laughs> we're going to have to make t-shirts. That's our like slogan for this podcast at this point. Uh, you're in Louisville right yeah. now, Louisville, Kentucky, a team that put the pressure on Auburn a little bit. That we they want they fired their coach Chris Mack after four years midway through the season. I don't know exactly why you fire a coach like that. Maryland did also. Bruce Pearl. Now that the NCAA stuff is finally behind us and everything, it seems like every school is finally taking notice that like oh yeah, Bruce Pearl. He's probably the best coach in college basketball. One of the, at least if he's not, he's like top five, and he's taken Auburn, this place that never has done anything really. I mean, there's been some history. We'll talk about Sonny Smith in a little bit, but you know just took a program that was like completely broken in half and took a we're at number one AP. Even if we weren't number one AP this year, I still think Bruce Pearl's name would be out there for every open slot. And it just so helps on top of that. We're number one and everybody's on top of it. And then on top of that, people think just because we're traditionally into a different sport or we're not a traditional power in basketball that they can poach him somehow, even though we have shown that like we were really just always an untapped market kind of we've, it's, we don't <laughs> as an athletic budget as a whole, we're in the top 10 of like all athletic budgets. So I don't know why Louisville and other places think that like, just because we don't have a traditional history in that, that we don't have the money and the facilities and everything we need to keep up as soon as we found our guy or whatever. So anyways, you're in Louisville. Do you want to tell kind of like maybe some people that haven't been paying a ton of attention on what's been happening this week? Yeah, no, I, th- I think you summarized it pretty well there. Um, I had already planned to be here. It was just kind of a, I, I've realized with this team that I just want to go watch it with friends who I went to Auburn with and, who like watching basketball. So I came up here, had a, have a good friend, Bobby Dyer, who I came and uh, watched the game with today. And uh, it's about two and a half hours from Nashville. So it just so happened that this week also is the aftermath of Kentucky losing and Calipari sticking his foot in his mouth all the time and Louisville going after our coach and losing. So I get to be peacock around the streets of Louisville today um, before our game, which was a lot of fun. I'd never been to Louisville, so I was just exploring and went to the KFC Yum Center. Here's a fun fact. I didn't know KFC Yum Center. If they wanted to call us a, par- a poverty team or something like that. And I was like, the only teams that don't have money have to name their arenas after corporate sponsors. I'm afraid that is the way most college basketball and college sports is going to go. I just love that there's going to be a few of us left. They're like, no, we still have enough money in class not to name our stadium after Papa John's and KFC. <laughs> well, and I didn't even know they were playing Duke while I was there. Like, I had no idea. I guess it made sense. Some of the parking was a little tough, but like, honestly, that shocked me. I did not know until I got back here that that game was happening right where I, I, took, didn't... I, I took a photo. Um, so anyway, my thoughts on everything. I don't think any of us were really worried about Bruce leaving. Uh, I think it was a strategic move and a good one by Bruce and his agent, his team of assistant coaches to say, hey, let's strike while the iron's hot. Let's make sure we get taken care of what we need. Some of it's, there's some rumors that there was some hesitation from Auburn on facilities upgrades that Bruce has wanted, maybe some assistant salary details. I think, I think Bruce just saw this as an opportunity to, I think he wanted to be at Auburn long-term. Obviously that's what's happened. Alan Green comes out and says he's locked up for life. He's 61 now. I think it's an eight year contract extensions we'll see how long it goes honestly i tweeted this this week like 
this is better than the number one ranking. This is better than maybe not a championship, but like just having him part of Auburn for hopefully a long, long time. I've always had this fear until we made the final four. I was always scared that somebody was going to come poach him. I felt better after the final four. And now we should be able to just put this to rest because I think Auburn people are smart enough that even if we have a down year or two in a row, like this is the guy, like we're not going to do any better right now than him. Even last year was bad. Guess what? This year is amazing. Like have faith, be patient. Hopefully not being a basketball school will help us in that regard. And uh, I'm thrilled. I'm really happy. Most of the fan base doesn't even know how to be Auburn basketball fans outside of Bruce Pearl. He is the Auburn basketball program right now. Like, We'll, we'll talk about Sonny again. We'll talk about some Cliff Ellis stuff. Like down the like there are there is some parts of history that I think when I hear announcers in places be like, there's no history and they've never been good. And it's like, okay, that's a little harsh, you know. But like for most of us that are in our like 20s and 30s, even in our 40s, like this is Auburn basketball. Bruce Pro is what we've come here for. So like I don't know, like he's gonna stick around a long time. I was never worried about it. I almost put as my pregame note that you know Jabari had such a bad game last game, like can he come back to his regular standpoint? I didn't even want to put it because I had that much belief that like, of course he is. <laughs> like, it's almost like disrespectful to Jabari because he had one down game that he wouldn't automatically be back where he was. I like very little worry that he wouldn't come right back on it. It's the same thing. My, the same amount of worry I had on Jabari coming back and having a 23 point game like this was the same amount of worry I had for Bruce Pearl leaving from Louisville. Extremely low. Like, sure. We've seen some weird stuff in other sports where, some a coach or something was like unhappy for other reasons outside of like sports and things that kind of like drove them to different places. Bruce, like the only stuff I was worried about was last year with Mike K and North Carolina with Duke, like Duke and North Carolina. Those are the ones I was scared of, like a Kansas, maybe a UCLA. Those are the only ones I was scared of. And it was so great for these other two to get filled. And honestly, hilarious. I think it's because the NCAA stuff has finally passed us. And of course, the number one, everything. He's finally show, he's showing again that, to people like we knew from the inside that final four was not a fluke at all. And it's always been building the next year was going to be a good year too. And we just got screwed in the COVID year or whatever. But I think some people outside the fan base didn't realize that like, no, this is how it is now. Like we got screwed on some of the other stuff, but those are the two I was worried about. They both hired their assistants, I believe, which great, which is super interesting to see in the sport of basketball that you have that big, a huge openings and they hired assistants. If we looked at some other sports, they would be so pissed <laughs> if you hired the assistant afterwards as some of our own, you know, yeah. but that was the ones I was worried about. I wasn't worried about Louisville. Who's also in a ton of trouble right now, more than we are, more than we are in trouble. And they have a hilarious to hear people talk about how Bruce, like they might not hire Bruce because he's been in trouble in the past. Louisville has like one of the worst moral corruption, <laughs> like actual issues. They hired prostitutes for minors <laughs> for recruits. Like, and they've like, they've always been on the edge a little bit. They don't have a president of their college right now. They don't have an AD of their college right now. They just fired a guy midway through a season. They like they haven't been good in like a while now. So I don't know why he would ever leave, and he didn't. And I think people like I think the Auburn fan base always knew. I think there's an interesting aspect to it that I've heard some people that maybe don't pay as much attention. Like why didn't we do this earlier? Why was there hesitation on building him a basketball facility? Like why 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 isn't he already number one paid guy or whatever? We just got past the NCAA stuff. We honestly had no idea what they were going to say. We had to do a self-imposed penalty last year. We had COVID going on at the same time, the pandemic. The entire athletic department was like not close to bankruptcy necessarily, but there was a big a big push to be smart during the pandemic and not overspend. We're not like some of the other programs that can't go bankrupt. 
we can go bankrupt trying to keep up with some of the big dogs in the world. We're not as big of a fan base as some of the other ones are. So like, I'm always worried about that, not only basketball, but in other sports. So there's this college sports arms race to constantly pay college coaches like an insane salary, constantly be building insane facilities. At some point, there will be a moment when a college goes bust and completely like screws over an entire university that's publicly tax funded by a state and they're going to go bust and everyone in the Senate and whatever in the, the government's going to be like, how did we let it get this way? How did we let college sports get to a point at colleges where you could bankrupt an entire college because the athletics were trying to keep up in sports? So that's a long like thing down the stretch to say that the reason why it's happening now is not just because Louisville came along. It's a combination of the number one ranking, the pandemic finally feels like it's over, and then the NCAA finally said, we're done with this. Then on top of all three of those, which I think with all three of those, we were set and ready to put this stuff together at the end of the year. Like we are just now getting to a point where we're like, yes, we are peacocking. <laughs> like things move slowly. Like we were going to wait probably until the end of March and go, all right, time to make this guy like one of the top things, time to like put in like a post COVID, post pandemic world facility stuff. But then when Louisville came knocking, they said, screw it. We've already been like, we know we're already going to do this stuff at the end of the year. Let's just go ahead and get it done. So we can stop worrying about all this stuff. I'm sure Bruce's agent was saying like, hey, come on, come on. Because you do have to strike when the Irons fire as a coach. We've seen other coaches that don't do that when they need to. And then it gets really tough to get their facility they want or their assistance salary. So they have to play this annoying game where they have to threat. We've all done it in our own jobs. <laughs> you have to like threaten your job to give you what you deserve. And it's kind of like crazy the same in college sports so that's a long rant about it I just think that's how we ended up in the position we are and I'm happy about it we locked them up yeah no you're you're right I mean um I think we were ready to do it I, I think anytime if you've been around Auburn for a long time you're just nervous that <laughs> somebody's gonna mess it up or somebody's not gonna do the obvious thing like I think one of the big pieces I, I agree with everything you said I would also add that I don't know the financials, but most schools don't make money on men's college basketball. It's just a reality. Um, I think we do now. I think Bruce has single-handedly flipped that from a debt to a profit generator. And I think that's why the move from what seventh to third highest paid in the coach in the country really shouldn't be viewed as that significant. Honestly, if it buys you this decade, potentially with, this guy who's done so much for your university, he's a tremendous marker. He's a tremendous ambassador for the school. Um, you, you have to take into account the whole picture, but it's an, it's a no brainer. It's easy. You're right. It probably would have happened at the end of the year anyway, but I think it, it's just a nice added momentum to this. You know, I, I personally, you were asking, did you worry about the contract curse or whatever? Like, I know we've seen that before in other things, but no, like I, I think Bruce is the same guy he's always been. He's just at a place now that has had his back and uh, has stood with him through NCAA challenges rather than what Tennessee did, which threw him, you know, under the bus basically to try to protect themselves. And we get to benefit from it from not only the last five years, really the eight years, the whole time he's been here and now eight, 10 years in the future. So I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm really pumped. I'm glad that's behind us. Something like uh, I just did the math while you were talking about looking up like how many programs from college basketball actually turn a profit. 18% of college basketball programs turn a profit. That ends up being about 60. So I'm sure like it's mostly in the major conferences. It looks like top 10 most profitable. Oh, no, I'm looking at the wrong sport here, but the most valuable. I can tell you for sure that basketball at Auburn used to not make any money. It was a it was a revenue non-generator. So 
and I don't see how there's any way, even with a small arena, even with all, everything going on right now, there's no way the program is not big time profiting off of everything that this team has accomplished the last few years. And it, I think it's probably even a smaller uh, amount of schools actually make a profit on their whole athletics budget. They all have legs budget is, is a down thing. So it's, it's always interesting to me and it frustrates me all this stuff about how colleges are screwing over the athletes and, oh, we need to pay them. It was like, most of these schools can't even turn a profit on their athletics department. And now you want them to pay the players and stuff. Like this is supposed to be like a, a fun, like thing these kids do like an opportunity to go to school and stuff. Like don't get me down on that whole route, but we're the 13th most uh, profitable or most, we make the most money. We're the 13th of uh, schools in the nation as a whole athletics. Louisville's number 19. So they, they do better than I thought. And if you think about it, Louisville from a, basketball and the other sport perspective they've actually like there's not a lot of schools that have had success in both and they've not had like a ton like not like national championship success in the other sport but they still like if you think about basketball schools and their other sport program there's not a lot of schools that are doing it the way Louisville has. so good on them they're a little better than I thought 19th but that's Arkansas's 20th so <laughs> and you know you don't feel like Arkansas is in our tier so yeah I mean I I, I'm just glad. I think there was a you you hit the nail on the head with like the the perception, right? The perception of the programs. People are looking at Auburn over the last 50 years and trying to use that as a comparison to what Louisville's done. Well, yeah, Louisville's had a better history in basketball than us, but that's not. Think about what Bruce has built right now and in this community where he is revered and he kind of has this like Coach K uh, type following. He really does, and he's earned it with how he's rebuilt this program, not just on the court but off the court and in the community and all these things. And it's awesome that um, I like Alan Green a lot personally as an AD. Um, I don't know. There's, I know there's rumors about maybe he'll be gone sooner than later, but that's been going on for this a while. Will help, this, this will help him out right now. You know, well, this signing Bruce up for another one and how well they're doing. Some of the stuff with AD, man, it's not that, like, it's so funny that it's like they can, they can get fired for things where like beyond their like purview or whatever. And they can also like have success off of that. So they get it back and forth. You know, he didn't hire Bruce Pearl. He just did the sensible thing and locking him up and paying him like a top five salary. And he's going to get like the benefit of like, good job. You didn't screw it up. So you can keep your job. Well, that's what I mean. I'm just glad he gets to do the announcement and do the victory lap and all that kind of stuff. So um, anyway, it's a good day. It was a good day for Auburn yesterday, for sure. Getting that announcement yeah. out of the way, everybody was super pumped. It made big news, you know, nationally. The way the way they announced it was funny. There, it wasn't like uh, usually they kind of leak stuff like that out to like beat writers or whatever. I don't, you know, I'm I'm work for a media company, but I, I wonder what the like concept is sometimes. Like, all right, we're gonna leak out to our favorite beat writers, so they'll be nice to us some other time. I don't know, but anyways, the way they announced it this time was Alan Green standing with a selfie cell phone you have to watch the video of him being like hey we did it we did it. we locked him and he kind of switches over and shows that bruce is behind him like we locked him up we got him. you know and then they also on top of that uh sent the video to the gymnastics meet which the gymnastics was sold out suny lee gold medal like that program's getting so hyped you know it's a basketball podcast but people are getting really into gymnastics i mean that's what happens when you have the best gymnastics person in the world at your program but it's really funny to see the videos of people enjoying that and they put the video up there and people watched it and went nuts there's like a reaction video to that and then I'm pretty sure I heard that Bruce also showed up to the gymnastics meet after. Was that right? Or you didn't see that? So I don't know. Well, it, so, it, it's a great time, man. And um, it's, it's very healthy. If you care about Auburn, if you care about its athletics department, it's very healthy to have things like this basketball team and this gymnastics team 
to, to really be proud of and enjoy. I think you asked me last night, like, what, you know, how crazy is it that we're enjoying this, you know, this time of year so much given stuff that happened in the fall, you know? So it's, it's really cool. This school's got this atmosphere. Like we are winners. Like there's people online over there. Like, this is a winning school. Like we do everything right. We like, but people but where does that and, come from? Who, who has been saying that since the day he got on campus? It's Bruce Pearl. He says, look, mm-hmm. I came to Auburn because I looked around. The women's basketball team went to three straight national championship games a few decades ago. The other sport that's a major, we've done a good job of avoiding the word, but <laughs> they win. All these other sports win. Why can't men's basketball win? And it's creating the narrative. And, it, and he has like lived that out through eight years of building to the point where I think it actually genuinely gives other Auburn sports and other Auburn fans hope that, oh, yeah, you're right. Like we can compete. We can do things that seem really difficult and hard. So I credit a lot of that to Bruce because he's been talking that that language for a long time. It seems the whole fan base into it. It's really fun to watch everybody peacocking in every sport. It's not about Bruce. It's not about it. Like you said, it's, it's him. He's the one that did it. But it feels like Auburn's getting this great. Like and you love it for the kids that are there, too. There's a certain like. I wonder too, like, you know, I'm big involved in the New York Auburn club up here. And like, I think there's certain like generations maybe that got to go through a great stretch in athletics that kind of ingratiate the school to them, no matter where they go and other generations that might not have gotten that. And they don't feel this like extremely strong connection. I guarantee people like our student correspondent, Matt Plexico and his friends or they had that moment. They're always going to be think like, they'll always feel that connection years later, wherever they go. No, they will. It's a, it's a fun time, man. It, this this is the ride is just beginning. Again, we're not even halfway through SEC play with this basketball team yet, and we've already created so many memories and moments with this team. I think this team will go down as one of the most beloved in Auburn history in a lot of ways. Um, just they've made that big of an impact through twenty one games so far. We uh, we can talk about Sonny Smith now. He got his banner uh, today. A legendary guy, and I think it helped that uh, you know it feels like it's a long time coming. It feels like that. We're not exactly sure like why now is the time that he's getting he's 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 been off the program now for 30 or 40 years now I think his last year was maybe 89 or 90 so that's 30 30 years now since he's been the coach and it's just now getting the banner that he deserves I believe if you look at his record and you look at everything he did with the program at the time it's kind of shocking it's kind of what Bruce Pearl's doing now like if you look at it like I think Bruce is going to take us to higher highs than Sonny ever did and Sonny had a hard time kind of breaking through and getting those rings. He only got one ring in the SEC tournament, but still it felt like he went to five straight NCAA championships. He went deep into the lead eight at one point with one, just going to five straight's a big deal, bringing in some top guys. He had three top five picks in a row, I think at one point in the NBA, it sounds very similar to what Bruce is doing now. So Bruce has gotten a couple more rings and taken us to the final four. So like, sure, Bruce is the next level, but for how lack of history we have, in college basketball, Sonny is kind of like our shining guy there a little bit in the 80s. And, you know, I think he deserved it all along. I think it helped that he ended up being the color analyst for the radio broadcast that he brought attention back, you know, that he says all these funny things and he's great as the color guy. I've ever since we interviewed him, I've turned on the radio call every time and it's fantastic. It is, it is a little annoying at times to have to time it up, but it's worth it to get the hometown call or whatever. So congratulations uh listening to our rate our interview with him he's just fantastic like what a, he's got amazing stories he's just a, a super charming like you just you gotta listen in it's probably our most successful podcast so far so check out our sonny smith podcast yeah, 
I echo that. Uh, cool. I'm glad he's getting honored for not only his coaching, but his, his con- contributions to Auburn. He is the guy historically. Cliff Ellis had a good team. Uh, Sonny had a good program, and he built a, a good program in a difficult time like he talked about with us. Super cool. When he was shown on the screen watching it today, I still smile a little bit just because we got to talk to him, you know, and that was probably, I mean, that was, that, that was the coolest moment of the year for me in this podcast so far. So I'm um, really happy for him especially, you know, he's older in age and we're, we're just, I'm glad he was able to be there and enjoy that. And uh, I know Sherry was asking for uh, his daughter who kind of worked with us to get him on the show. Um, she was asking for all sorts of different videos just to get all the angles of that video and the announcement and the banner. And like, it's just a cool day for them. So really happy for them. Yeah. She, she put on her Twitter day. We, we, I made a cool reel on Instagram with a bunch of archival footage of him, uh, getting his name now so at the sec tournament that he won and everything and put behind it the song about sunny like the sun sunny but it worked out really well this name check it out on our instagram it's on our reels check it out we put it on twitter also uh sherry replied to it and said she wants to meet us in real life so matt if you you're more likely to be able to find a ticket to a home game at some point but hopefully in march we'll go shake sunny's hand and, and, and give sherry a hug and it was just really cool to meet with them that time so check it out uh, I think we can get into maybe I know you want to make this a quicker podcast, but maybe a little bit of national, a little bit of SEC. We don't have the records uh, as as much this week because of uh, nobody's playing an SEC game. But I'm looking at the Bama score right now. Sadly, Alabama is winning 57 to 42 over the number four Baylor. It's at Alabama. It's super tough to win away, but still so frustrating <laughs> that Alabama does not have a great team this year. They've lost seven games, but they just keep beating great teams thank god we got out of there without losing to it i mean i'll be curious to hear the baylor's fans reaction to the tuscaloosa referees because it seems to be an issue we are not, we are not the only ones that have complained in the last couple of weeks about the whistles that go down in tuscaloosa so i'll be curious to hear what people think about that team it'll be extremely extremely frustrating if they pull this off which is looking like they're going to they're up by like 15 now uh, and then they like keep doing what they're doing all year, which is losing to bad teams. Like at Georgia, they lost at Georgia. Georgia is the worst team. They see they're so bad. And they lost at Georgia. And now they're going to go beat number four Baylor. And I guarantee what's going to happen is they're going to keep doing that all year. And then they're going to beat somebody in the tournament and go sweet 16 or elite eight or something. And, and then everyone's going to forget at all that they sucked during the season and lost to teams like Georgia. And they're going to get a ton of hype and they're just going to keep building. But they're that good. I mean, I, you, you can disagree with all you want. They've had some bad losses. They, it look, at Georgia. <laughs> they're, they're, but I, look, they're not consistent. They have their issues. They're not as good as last year's team. Their, their rankings, their computer rankings, still, even after the Georgia loss, 20 nationally, 18, 22. They, they are a good team, and this is actually really good for Bruce. If they win that game, it's going to be like, hey, that team just beat the defending national champions by potentially double digits. If you, if you think you're just going to come back home because you beat them in Tuscaloosa and you think it's going to be easy, uh, that's going to be a war. That team is good. They're desperate. They need these wins. They're, they played Baylor, Auburn, and Kentucky these next three games. If they lost all three, they were going to be not bubble, but they were going to be moving that direction. So this is a would be a huge win for them, obviously. And uh, Auburn's going to have to bring it to, to, to get the sweep of Alabama on Tuesday. It's going to be frustrating if they beat us. <laughs> You're right. Maybe, maybe I think, I don't think they need that much help to get up for it. I think they understand the rivalry and the students. Everybody's been circling. No, this but this will help. A long time, so. this, this will help build the if hype. You're looking, if you're looking for a silver lining. Yeah. I, I want them to lose to be clear. But, you know. 
Ole Miss beating K-State by 10. That's nice. You know, we talked about Ole Miss. They gave us such a hard game, but I really think that was one of those, like, you're going to give us the, the best shot because we're the best, you know. If you want to talk long. about every game going on in progress, even though nobody's going to listen to this until later. <laughs> yeah, maybe. No, we'll talk about how LSU lost to TCU, so that's nice. I like any, any you know, any time they can lose, so. Yeah, Um you know, Arkansas got a good win. I mean, the Big 12 SEC challenge is what it is. I don't really care. I don't cheer for the other SEC schools. I know some people do. That's fine. The SEC doesn't cheer for us usually, so I uh, it, I generally it, it, don't, don't matter. It, is, it doesn't matter to us right now because we're number one, and it really doesn't, like, if we do whatever we're going to do, it's going to be fine. But the year there has been years in the past where we have not had as good of a year, and the fact that the SEC's reputation was terrible yeah. meant that we didn't make the tournament. And when the years – when the SEC was really good – and then also we got a little benefit from that, you know, so. But, but see, I want that now because I want our conference rivals to not get in. Like, I'm fine if yeah. people don't think our conference is any good. I know it's good. I watch it every night. Um, anyway, it, it is what it is. It's kind of a nice break. The four game, the four teams that Big 12 only has 10 teams, of course, which is always cracks me up for now, at least. Um, so there's four SEC teams that don't play in it it's based on last year's records. Georgia and Vanderbilt played tonight and then Texas A&M plays South Carolina. So A&M will be back on schedule in terms of the amount of games they've played, they were behind a little bit. So, but Auburn got their two game lead over Kentucky and then a bunch of teams, three games back kind of waiting to make a move. Uh, yeah. We talked about just briefly, we talked about Alabama coming up and then at Georgia, it's interesting that Oklahoma is definitely a better team than Georgia, but I was more excited for that at Georgia game than the Oklahoma because it is an SEC game. It is a rivalry and there's so much talk about taking over their arena Love it. Really looking forward to seeing all the Auburn fans there next week. I don't know what time that game is. I think it's the middle of the, the, the day game on Saturday, which is frustrating at times for me. But I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Alabama lost in them there. So it, it, it can be dangerous, but, you know, yeah. we can win in so many ways. So two o'clock Eastern next Saturday in Athens. Um, You're not going, right? Still too, no. too expensive. Yeah, I kind of missed the boat and I'm going, I'm going to see some family. So. I'm going to be traveling some of these Saturday games, but uh, we're, we're going to remain loyal to the pod. I'll, I'll be around. Don't worry. It's made it easy. You know, we were, it was me, my side that was more afraid I wasn't going to make every podcast or whatever. And now with the COVID and the, how good this team is and everything, I'm enjoying being able to jump on after every time. I don't know if we got any uh, new ratings or anything, but we've had a lot more people reaching out to us and chatting us on Twitter and on Instagram. So follow along on those two. We try to put out, those pregame notes every time, you know, if we're having a good time out here, Matt, any like final thoughts on this game and just overall Auburn basketball? Oh man, just thrilled. This team is so fun. Don't take for, you always try to remind people don't take it for granted. Even today, even if it's a non-conference game, even if it's during the day, watch it for two hours. Uh, we have to put in a little more time than that to, to make this podcast, but uh, man, every time you get to watch this team, enjoy it. They're so fun. Um, you know, we have to turn it up, though. I mean, this is a crucial week in my mind. If we get through Alabama and Georgia, sweep those rivalries, the, you know, we, we've said before, the back end of that schedule, there's a couple of road games that are tough, but you really feel decent about it. So um, I love where we're at. I did want to point out, I haven't told you this, uh, we had more listens on the Missouri episode than Kentucky. So our, Wow, it's, our, that's um, strange. If you look at our YouTube, it's not a – the Missouri one did not do anywhere near as good as Kentucky. So, but just appreciate everybody listening. It's always cool. We kind of track that not for our own glory. It's just kind of crazy to see how many people are along for the ride. 
um, with this team. I have so many friends who maybe haven't historically been Auburn basketball people who are really following this team closely. And um, it's just neat. It's really, I think, I don't know if you feel this in New York, but it feels like this team has like unified the Auburn fan base in a way that I don't know if I've felt in a long time. It really feels like everybody, this team is so likable. The coach is amazing. Um, and it's been obviously a historic season already for us without winning anything yet. Um, I'm just, I'm, I'm still chasing that SEC title. I want that really bad with the place we're in right now for the regular season, but just thrilled with where we're at and how the podcast is going everything. It's fun, Jackson. Fun to talk to you. About. Yeah. It's, it's fun to, it's fun to win baby. <laughs> I yeah, think a right. big piece of how, uh, you know, I was going to say that the toxicity of some other sports in Auburn has not like come over to basketball The people are just having a good time trying to roll with the punches, do whatever. And just like, we're peacock, yeah. but I think part of that is if you don't lose, <laughs> there's nothing to complain about. Right, so right, we're all right. memeing and we're all having a great time and, Hit, hit it again yeah, before we end. I don't know if you're done. If you have any other yeah, thoughts, never done a lost podcast, never lost in regulation, baby. <laughs> Undefeated in the SEC. Let's go. Anything and, else? Uh, I, I was going to mention one more thing. Uh, Kyle Pence, our review guy, hit us up on YouTube. He said, Y'all remember my review, Ella? And I said, Kyle, you finally found us. Let's be best friends. He's done respond to that yet, but we're heading there. This friendship has started out slowly, but I imagine. At the national championship, me and Kyle sitting next to next to each other in the stands, high fiving. We like take down whoever we play. You know, if you get that joke, you're an OG uh, Jungle podcast listener. So um, anyway, it's like great. Kyle. Thank you, thank you for the reviews. Keep it up. Um, really, we just want to keep enjoying this ride with y'all. Hope you enjoy the kind of silly fan analysis. We enjoy being able to do that and just talk Auburn basketball because there is plenty to talk about. And as you can tell, we go over an hour every time. So. Yeah, we'll see you on Tuesday. War Eagle, guys. War Eagle, beat Bama.